I'm Lucas Broughton, and I listen to the Arc City Podcast. I'm River Adamus, and Arc City is my ski racing podcast of choice. I'm Alexander Omakilda, and I listen to Arc City Ski Podcast. I'm Michaela Schifrin, and I listen to Arc City. And we are back and live. I'm Jimmy Krupka, and welcome to Arc City. This episode is brought to you by GiveGo. Download the GiveGo app and get quick, easy, and affordable access to coaching by pros. I'll tell you more about it later in the episode. And as always, this podcast is supported by U.S. Ski and Snowboard. And Spider Active Sports is the show's official sponsor. Spider has been the U.S. Ski Team's apparel supplier for the past 30 years. Learn more at spider.com. All right, I am back. I'm back in the podcast studio, aka my closet. I'm also back in the race course after a long road of recovery from a snap leg last January. So naturally, Stoke is high. We've got Tommy Ford visiting us here in Arc City this time, and it is a fascinating conversation. You might be quoting it for years to come. We'll see. We'll get into it after I hit three short bullet points. One, Speaking of High Stoke, I went and watched the uh, Birds of Prey World Cup races at Beaver Creek, and the crowd was amazing. The spirit of ski racing felt just alive and well, and that made me very happy. Also, my countryman Travis Kanong snagged a podium, which was cool. Two, Marcel Hersher is developing his own brand of skis called Van Deer, or maybe it's Van Der, if you're trying to pronounce it correctly in Europe, I don't know. Anyway, Hersher posted a picture of him in a race course, and everyone's freaking out and hoping he makes a comeback. Personally, I'm hoping too. I miss watching the goat. And three, a quick reminder about the, what the mission of this podcast is, which is creating more content and education in skiing and ski racing for people who love this sport. And in line with that, I've got one or two really cool projects coming up, so stay tuned. Oh, and lastly, make sure to stick around for the skiing history segment this week. It's about the history of the ski base. More interesting than you might think. And now, without further ado, World Cup race winner and two-time Olympian, Tommy Ford. Tommy Ford, welcome to Arc City. Pleasure to be on, Jimmy. It's been a while. Long time coming, I should say. Long time coming. So <laughs> I had you on, uh, I think it was after it was after some race that you did well in last year for like a five-minute call, I think, right? So you've been to Arc City before. Yeah, I've, I've visited. You visited. We had the game show thing, too, a couple of springs ago. Yeah, with Ski Racing Media. Um, slightly different. Slightly different. But um, it is good to have you here, kind of, you know, maybe... Buying an apartment in Arc City, staying a while. Oh, I plan on being a long-term resident. <laughs> okay, parking this morning. All right, well, let's get you a mortgage then. <laughs> um, so this it's is interest rate. the municipality of Arc City, and it only seems right that we talk a bit about arcs specifically. And I realize that I haven't done much of that with this show, and there are people who listen to this podcast who may have never arced a turn in their life, and. I know that 99% of the people who listen haven't arced a World Cup caliber turn in their life. So in as much detail as possible, but I mean, we can't take all day, but can you describe <laughs> the feeling of a Tommy Ford arc? 
Well, I feel like a lot of people have experienced a really good arc in that a lot of time it's a World Cup arc. It's the repeatability of the arc and the, the power that you can put into it. Okay. But in general, arc, man, that's a great feeling. I like to really be light, have a light touch at the top of the turn and just let the skis, the shape of the skis and the gravity start the, the bend and like the little little roll of the ankles. And it, it really, my body just like sinks in into the ski and gets pushed into the ski and loads it up and it, it's uh figuring out how to release it has been a game i've been playing for years and uh loading up as much as i can and then subtly releasing uh with the downhill ski and just letting it lead into the next turn that, that downhill ski so it's uh it's a, it's a lot of energy that i like to carry from turn to turn to turn to turn <laughs> yeah it is a lot of energy and and like i i think of a tommy ford arc as having that energy and the way you describe it is the same way that I think of it when I'm watching video the the uh, you know the light touch of the top and then the power coming into the the apex that that point where the arc goes from one direction to the other um, and the most impressive thing about a Tommy Ford arc is that you uh, are on the smaller side for inter- you know in terms of weight uh, compared to other World Cup ski racers was that a yeah, fair classification? That's, that's fair. Okay. <laughs> um, and can you can you comment on that? And is is that something? Is it just the way you are, or is have you made a conscious effort to stay a little bit on the lighter side? Or that's mainly just the way I am. I've yeah. tried to put some weight on. It's it's hard. I like try to I eat a lot, but I kind of given up on like overeating because that's uncomfortable and doesn't doesn't work too good. Yeah. So I get as strong as I can. This is basically my shape so and it I've, works yeah i've learned how to like <laughs> you win be, you win real cup, yeah. so <laughs> learn how to be elastic they like, have different strengths i'm pretty i can jump pretty well not super mm-hmm. high but i can jump a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh yeah it's like just learn how to stack my bones a bit it's letting letting my body go where it needs to um without too much force and then once it's really stacked and lined up I can really apply a lot of force so it goes from like mm-hmm. tons of force to almost none mm-hmm. and i try to like to play with that spectrum of force none like there's a whole uh wavelength in the, between those two things i like that so uh, let's get into how you're doing right now you in january right around when i crashed january like middle of january crashed at the bottom of the adelboden race uh and Tell me what your injury was, and then um, tell me where your recovery is at. Yeah, I fell back in January 2021. And fell is an understatement. You you hit hard. Yeah, smashed my head, knocked out, got knocked out for five minutes, so I'm told. I still don't remember uh, the moment from the turn before I fell to when I woke up in the hospital. So I got helicoptered out and all that, and I still don't remember. Don't remember the helicopter ride? No. My helicopter ride was very pleasant, so I'm bummed you missed the view. Happy you had a good one. (laughs) Uh, Bad excuse to have a helicopter ride. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I tore my PCL, MCL, both meniscus in my right knee, and um, broke my tibia plateau. Which is that, it's like the top part of your tibia, right? Yeah, it's right where your femur and tibia meet. Yeah, okay. Um, a lot of ligaments are attached there. I basically 
tried to dislocate my knee. My like ACL was sprained a little bit. My LCL had a little damage to it. So it's those two hanged, stayed intact, it's but kept the leg, kept the femur and the tibia together. Yeah, kept all right, a coherent leg. Uh, and then yeah, rehabbing since. Rehabbing since, and home for you is is uh, Oregon. Yeah, Bend, Oregon. Bend, Oregon. Skiing out Mount Bachelor. Mm-hmm. And you and you've always been from Bend, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Born out east in Vermont and moved when I was six months old. Okay. Grew up in Bend. Okay. And and so you rehabbed all summer. You you did the PT. Um, you had multiple surgeries, right? Yeah. They couldn't yeah. do the PCL. Doctor Hackett couldn't do the PCL um, until like six weeks later. Okay. It's because of the trauma of this initial surgery. And then um, we're here, sitting here at Beaver Creek. And you're you've been in Colorado for the past month or so, couple or a couple of weeks, right? On snow. Yeah. Started getting back on snow, right? I mean, you were getting out snow. To I was on a snow bit. a little earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I started skiing mid November in Copper, sliding around. First run was uh, skating around, and then walking up the hill and making slide turns for <laughs> ten turns. Right, because it's this super slow progression with knees, right? So right. you basically go out there. And do like two, like slide turns, and then you're done. Yeah, it's like, did it hurt? <laughs> Check it out. But then after that, I've been like little steps, little steps. Now I'm arcing full GS turns, and it's it's sweet. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing, right? It is. Yeah. It's, it really it really hit me more when I started going faster and like feeling that those forces again. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, this feels a little bit more like home. Yeah, yeah. Describe that feeling a little bit more. Like, what's it like getting getting back to something? That's such a big part of your life. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was pretty easy as far as like technique goes. I just like started skiing. <laughs> I was a little scared of the knee, like ligament, ligaments, and all that. It's like kind of freaky feeling to do something so athletic after not doing it for so long. Um, but it held up and it felt good and started to like feel the terrain, feel the gravity taking me in the wind, and it's just like. Yeah, just remind, remind me of what I like to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love to yeah. do. Yeah, what you love to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and people are, are you know, everyone's a big Tommy Ford fan. You, you, you're leading the charge in World Cup GS. You won one two years ago. You had some podiums. Um, and the Olympics are this year, so everyone's wondering, like, what? when's Tommy Ford back? Um, so when is Tommy Ford back? What's the plan here? <laughs> Good question. I don't know when I'm back. Uh, I am just listening to my body and making steps as I can, keep continuing progression of strength and mobility and um, getting in gates slowly but surely, um, maybe next week. And, yeah, that's that's the primary goal is to keep listening to my body and don't let my uh, head get too far in front of me and wanting to get in racing too soon. Um, I would love to race next week but <laughs> not quite you not got quite there you got to follow the progression got to listen to your body yeah and, and i have experienced this with my um comeback from injury is is it's nice to be like i'm coming back on this date i'm racing this day but it it truly depends on your body and there's so many unforeseen things you can come back and feel good and then something else can be hurt or there's swelling but maybe it doesn't hurt there's so many things to injury that I've realized there's so many variables The people just want to hear, yes, I'm back this date, but right. you can't, you can't just 
promise people a date. It yeah, and it's out. like for me, it's like hard to promise myself that too because yeah. it's like I don't want to get let down. It's like I, maybe I won't be able to do it. Exactly. That's, that's the reality of it in a way. <laughs> it's like this, yeah. this hasn't been an easy process and definitely been up and down through the summer. Definitely mm-hmm. bouts of depression and trying to, yeah, it's uh, trying to bounce back from those. Or it's tough sometimes. So yeah, I mean, I mean, talk, I mean, talk about. Um, that you know the the times when you're you're sitting at home and it's the same old PT exercises and you're trying to you know you have your sights set on I don't know what you have your sights set on but maybe you can talk about that and what and what's keeping you going and what and and what sorts of th- things you do to stay positive. I mean I, I've been wanting to get back to like real GS turns like I don't know I just have I'm kind of hooked to that feeling of fully exerting my energy into my skis and like then have been releasing it and feeling the flow of whatever happens next and that's what has reminded me to to keep pushing and keep keep uh doing pt and all that um plus it's like it's more than just me doing like if i skiing isn't just about me it's it's about people i have an influence on or inspire and and uh yeah it's like if i just stop now and then what yeah it's like this is a great opportunity to to have a little more of a platform in that sense yeah yeah and i and i know that you uh you like tommy ford's a good guy you know tommy tommy ford's and i know it's about you it's not just it's not just about the winning you know it's about the impact you're making on skiing and other people um I don't know if you want to say anything else about that. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to get caught up in yourself, and on. I think it's important to like pay attention to yourself and take care of yourself and listen to what your body needs and all of that. But I mean, in reality, there's more than just you out there. There's like your coaches, your teammates, fans, your parents, your friends, and um, they've they've all helped me get to where I am, and I want to do my best. Not only for myself, because it's fun, and I like to do well as well. <laughs> I mean, ripping GS turns is the best feeling in the world, yeah. but... It's also for them. Like yeah. It's like, gets them excited, and like and shows that, that, that you can you can really put your energy into something. And that's what I've been doing. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. Well, I'm looking for some, for some Tommy Ford wisdom right here. Because I, I was doing my research on you. Um, you have a pretty good Wikipedia page. I don't yeah. know who wrote it, but it's pretty good. And Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Your first World Cup start was at age 20. And you actually scored your first World Cup points that season. And you went to the Olympics that season. Am I getting this right? Yeah, that was a crazy season. <laughs> in 2010. That was in 2010. You're 20 years old. Um, which is, I mean, ski racers generally peak at... I think the average age is uh, 27 or 28 or something. So it's young. Um, and then you actually didn't end up finishing a season in the top 30 in, in GS until uh, seven years later. You had an injury in the middle of there. But it's you seem to be an example of um, patience and continued trust in the process um, of, of working out. Of just working out? No, 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 <laughs> of, no, no, no out. Of, of the process of working out in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's tough to <laughs> trust the working out because it gets old. It just gets tedious. Uh, but the working out 
is very important, kids. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I've been uh, patient. <laughs> I'm not always patient. I want to ski, ski and ski, and I think that's the main thing. Is like I've just had the drive to ski, and doesn't. When I was younger, I definitely had like some maturing to do, and physically and mentally and like had reacted a lot more to my results as like negative results and I get stuck on them and be like couldn't pull myself out of those holes sometimes and it reflected throughout the season and it's like it's like oh that's not the end of the world there's there's more to life than just these results like Mm -hmm. I really enjoy skiing but it's like I went to school in in the middle there when I hurt myself and Mm -hmm. went to Dartmouth College went to Dartmouth and uh, studied studio art and really kind of sh- learn to shed my identity as a ski racer and find something else I mean I'm not I'm obviously a ski racer mm-hmm. um, but that was hard to shed my identity as a ski racer it's like that's all I know and it's like yeah. these people at school don't know me as a ski racer at all and so uh, it's just kind of a trip there and um, yeah so I I like that and I, and I have heard a lot of people say this about getting over bad results was a, was kind of about realizing that there's more to life than a bad result, yeah. and finding different identities and different passions than ski racing, um, and that's and that's that's cool to hear about. Uh, yeah, like and, my, and, I had a coach that would say like, when I would blow, he'd be like, "That's just ski racing, like whatever." I'm like, "Wow, what? No, like that, that's my world. Yeah. Like it's, it's your life. Right? Yeah, everything." Yeah. But then. It's like I kind of I had to discover it for myself in, in that sense, and it's like, no, there is more. <laughs> it's not. It is just ski racing, and it, I'm gonna take it seriously and do what I can. But it's also, uh, there are more reasons to to move on and like enjoy your life. Yeah, and so maybe was the am I am I classifying it as patience, and maybe you would classify it as I could have done better earlier, but I was hindered by my you know negative emotions or do you think that I mean, where where would you classify it i i mean we can put all sorts of words to it i, I yeah. just had i'm pretty open to trying things and like and being okay with failing um that's mm-hmm. kind of been that way for as long as i can remember so i think that's part of it it's like okay i failed or i'm gonna learn from it i like learning and like figuring out what went on and try to change it and like breaking a leg is a new experience and really was a new experience and learned a lot about my body and like the actual anatomy of it and how everything works and just like dove into healing more and just the aspects of healing that are less tangible and um, so I was just hungry to learn in that sense and it wasn't just how to like win but it was also like how to heal how to train better how to like get muscle back on my leg and Mm -hmm turns out that helps you ski race when you have muscle on your leg (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like that kind of process i brought that into skiing i use a lot of my art process in skiing the way i look at my equipment and the way i process my training and like try to be more objective at on my runs and not just like oh that felt bad or that felt really good and just like no like yeah i felt good but like what what's good what was bad and just see it clearly and then move on from it Mm -hmm. in kind of an unemotional analytical way but it's it's less yeah. analytical. You you related it to your art. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, I mean it's a little. It's definitely analytical to a, to an extent. Um, and the emotional part is a 
plays a part as well. Like you come down, you're not, it's like it's hard not to have emotion like, yeah. one way or the other. It's like I try to like get that out and like express it, and then um, and that's kind of where the art part is. Is like allowing that to come out in some form, mm-hmm. and then setting it aside and looking at your art and being like a cr- critic of your art and okay why did I react that way to this run it's like oh well I lost my outside ski a couple times and like or I had a bad line or something and, or I had a really good line but I was like kind of clouded my vision for the bottom part so I was like too psyched on those upper turns and um, just learning how to really look at my my work work like I put it in quotes because it's like artwork or like skiing it's like mm-hmm. you gotta really look at it if you're gonna make art it's like you gotta take criticism yeah and it's it reminds me of something that one of Bodie's coaches told me once was that Bodie Miller talked about skiing as expressing himself and, and it sounds a lot it sounds in the same vein of thought as you where you know it's a piece of artwork you look at it you, t- you think about it yeah so that's kind of interesting i Ski racing used to be more of an expression for me, like, uh-huh. and I, you know, I was angsty teenager and uh-huh. I, and like going through puberty and like maturing and all that. It's like when you express yourself during that period, like, you can be pretty physically abusive to yourself in the sense of like spashing gates really hard or like mm. going really hard on your body, like training, like taking twenty runs or something. I could do it, yeah. but my body would pay for it later. It's like, well. Maybe it's not the best idea to express myself through skiing. Mm-hmm. Like I do. It's a more of a subtle thing, but it's like I find another way to express it that's a healthier, less damaging way to my body uh, and um, allow skiing to be a really fun thing, but also like have some sort of restraint, you know, yeah. in, in it. Some restraint. And, and it's not necessarily a restraint speed or like aggression, mm-hmm. but a restraint of your emotion. Yeah, and it's not letting unbridled. Basically, you're saying not letting unbridled emotion um, dictate every single turn. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's like I mean, I think if you're really good at like navigating your emotions and like understanding them and like feeling all these different ones, it could be really powerful, probably. I'm not the best at that. <laughs> so I kind of have to like be a little careful with how I approach skiing in that sense. Wow. We've really gotten, we've really gotten into the weeds here and I absolutely <laughs> love it. Let's, let's step back and get a little more technical and um, hopefully we can appeal to people who, who don't know a lot about the technical aspect of um, changing your, what we, what we call your equipment setup, the way your boots and your skis are set up. And the, the reason I bring this up is because I was, I was very um, uh, um, impacted by training with you three years ago in New Zealand. And I remember watching you ski run and calmly go to your notebook, um, talk to your ski technician, write some notes, um, take another pair of skis that was slightly different set up, go up, try that. And it was just this really cool process of watching you narrow down what skis you liked or what skis did different things um, and I wanted to hear a bit about that from you okay uh, you're talking about you're trying to explain the setup a little bit yeah uh, I, and, and I just could... like how like what what your process is in figuring out what skis and setup you like yeah okay I was just gonna say like I, I really a lot of skiing just sort of running like basic human movements like you can kind of break skiing down to like a running movement um, so you can think of setup as like your drop 
your heel, what do you call it? Uh, drop angle of yeah, your whatever. shoes. Yeah, like, whatever. It's like either gas pedal or toe drop, right? The angle of your yeah, boot like, in the I mean, ski. You feel mm-hmm. that like there's a trend with like running barefoot running shoes, like flatters. The people going flat, people going going running, like some more regular traditional stuff. Yeah. Anyway, with skiing, there's that part of it, the the ramp angle, the up down. But there's also canning to side to side, mm-hmm. and there's the shape of the ski, the construction of the ski, the flex of the ski. The angle, both on the base edge and the side it's, edge of yeah. the ski. <laughs> yeah. It goes and goes, and like boots, boot plastics, boot canting, like upper cuff, lower canting from the bottom. There's all these different things. I've like really experimented with a lot of them, maybe too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like it's easy to get carried you, away. You can because it's like, you're like, oh, that feels great in this specific condition. Yeah. <laughs> and then you gotta like figure out once the snow changed, which changes. It can feel good, but then it can hour. be slow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like. I've learned to be really objective about it. It's like, okay, this feel, like I do use my subjective measurements. Like, okay, this feels good. And like, I love the feeling or I feel really safe or I feel out of control. And like, I like, record those. I have a little like grading system for that. Like one through four, four really good, one bad. And like that way it's kind of binary. Um, you don't have a neutral spot. Hmm. Um, and then, and then what was the next thing with that? Uh, you got you really got me with this four points. <laughs> yeah, I'm still are... thinking about the four point scale, the binary thing. If it's so, if it's four, it's good. Yeah, then if three, it's three is like pretty, pretty good. good. But if it's two, it's, it's like all on the other pretty side. Bad. Pretty bad. And then <laughs> one is bad. Yeah, interesting. Okay, because if three, then you're like, well, what am I going to do with that? Yeah, it's like it's just too neutral. Because I I usually go to the neutral answers on like surveys. Yeah, oh, <laughs> too often. Okay. Gotcha. Guilty. Um, so you know yourself. Yeah, it's okay. like getting to know yourself and being objective with it and. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at video and seeing what, what works, what doesn't. And, um, I tried to find something that like works for multiple conditions, not just, I eventually just like chose a boot setup that like, okay, this works. I'm not going to change it too much. And took, took years of, Oh yeah. I was going to say with experimenting with all these different methods of tinkering, excuse me. Um, you get to know what does what, like you put your toe down and you, you know that it, I know that it's going to like pull you down the hill a little more, but it might make you move back. Mm-hmm. Like your body's reaction is to move back, put your toes up. You're like pretty, feel, you feel pretty safe and more in control, mm-hmm. uh, but that can be pretty slow too. So uh, learning all these different, what each part of the setup does to your mm-hmm. skiing. So I eventually learned that and it's like, okay, hey, I'm really having a hard time doing this thing. Like, when it comes to technique, like staying level or like getting my foot behind me and something. And then I'm like, okay, well, is it my skiing? Okay, I'll try to change this. Like, okay, I'm not successful at it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not changing it very well. And I, I rate that based off of like consistency. Like, I try to see if I did good turns top to bottom, like how many bad turns I did and not like why. And <laughs> look at that. Uh, and this is your method for figuring out is it my skiing or is it my skis? And yeah. then what can I do to my skis? To yeah, change it's, like, it. it's like, okay, I can do this. And then it's like, it's like, oh, that worked or it didn't. And try a couple other things, but that's taking experience and time to really, and, and help from coaches and my parents just to like give feedback on that. And I encourage a lot of people to, to try different things, but eventually choose something at the beginning of the season or like when you have a period of time, just choose something and go with it as long as it's pretty relatively good. 
Yeah, you gotta choose it, or else you drive yourself crazy. Yes, yeah, just, it, just playing can, with it. it can always change. Yeah. So we're getting towards the end here, and uh, quickly. So you mentioned how in your uh, early years you had this teenage angst, and but now when we look at you, it's you know Tommy Ford is kind of a Zen master, and in the start gate you're you're standing there super calm, upright, and you just push out of the start and go, and it's so different from everyone else's like yelling in the start and and, and all of this you know crazy energy. Um, is there one kind of tip you can give to people who want to become more Zen? You want to just maybe be a little less crazy, but still energized. Get your rake out. <laughs> Do some rake. Zen garden. Zen garden. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, I don't know Zen that well, like the actual philosophy. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, but I use the I, word, I use the word as kind of a. Yeah, yeah. I understand, <laughs> but uh, I I guess it's like. Not everyone understands attention. I think most people do as you get older, but it's like attention is a thing that can like kind of focus on different parts of your environment. It can listen to the sirens in the background or it can be focused on a red dot sitting in front of you. Mm-hmm. Learning just being aware of where your attention is is a first step and then like putting your attention on something that is in the present moment, like your breath. Breath is, it's always present, it's there. Um, that's not to say you can't have your, your attention can't go to your thoughts. That's very common. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. We think we our attention's on it. Uh, trying to be aware of when your th- attention's on your thoughts and less on your breath and try to like shift that balance to be a little more on your breath and allow your thoughts to come in. They're going to do it. They're going to be there. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to oh, not yeah. have them there, but they're but there. Thoughts come, yep. <laughs> uh, and allow them to watch them go, like let them go, watch them go. It's just, it's, it takes practice too. Mm-hmm. It, I think it's important to try it, practice it when you're in a safe, quiet, calm environment. But you can also do it before you ski. You can do it when you're going down the elevator. It's like just these little moments take. Well, it's just like working on a turn. It'll get better and better. Mm-hmm. And you'll be able to process it. But it does get harder when there's a pressure situation, like yeah. like racing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you get in there, like oh. Where'd all these thoughts come from? Yeah. These are annoying. That's so exactly how races go. Just yeah. like just like compress these thoughts into your head. Yeah. yeah. So for the people out there, maybe you you know think about where your attention is. Think about you know trying to focus on the breath more or something in the present. Um, and uh, Tommy, before we go, I always let my guests you know take a minute to um, thank a sponsor, shout out um, a family, a friend. A, uh, an idea in ski racing an organization anything you you'd like to shout out well first I'd like to say with the, what we were just talking about with the tension and stuff is that that is helping more than just you you you're working on yourself by doing that and that helps the people around you so it, it helps your friends your family your interactions with them and um, helps it's you it's not necessarily a selfish thing navigate yeah. It. yeah it seems very self-centered and stuff mm-hmm. which it is but it also has an effect on the ones around you. So it's worth doing not just for ski racing. Yeah. Anyway, I like to thank Mount Bachelor, <laughs> Head, uh, Lakey, Shred, uh, Wind Wax, and Rebound Physical Therapy back home in Bend, and Boss Sports Performance, and MBSEF. Been training at those places. Uh, and then my whole staff and crew and family, all of that. It's been 
they've been unrelenting support. Um, and then found, like foundations like Share Winters Foundation, Winter yep. for Kids, yep. um, Universal Lighthouse, uh, BGL International Frylossing, US Ski Team. Like these are, I'm probably I'm leaving out some for sure, but these are great organizations to give to because they like get kids on snow regardless of their income um their family's income or their situation they like winter for kids for instance like buses kids from inner city yeah. to the mountain which like, is awesome this is Love great again like, fully yeah. set up like they don't need to dish out any money that buses them back um yes yeah, so it's like providing more opportunity for more people out there we get more people skiing we get more people skiing the more fans we yes. get it's just like yes. a full circle more people that enjoy right. racing and then we have yes. people advocating for snow, which is, you know, it's not that yes. predictable these days. Yes. So wow. we got to be advocates for this. This snow out here. Yeah. Shout out Protect Our Winters. Pow. Yeah. <laughs> I love everything you just said, Tommy. I think it's a beautiful note to end off on. Um, thank you for uh, settling down here in Arc City. Arc City. Arc City. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Arc City on social media. Um, and yeah. Thanks for taking the time. I know you're super busy. We did this super rushed in between meetings and you've got one in like three minutes. So thank you. Thank you, Jimmy. Appreciate it. Quickly, I'm going to pause for an ad. Please don't skip over it. It's actually useful information, I think. Give go. It's the world's easiest and most effective way to, to connect with and learn from professional athletes. There's over 500 experts on the app, 10 different sports, skiing and golf are included in those. GiveGo lets you get personalized feedback quickly from athletes and pros. I've been an expert on GiveGo since the spring and I love it. It's really simple. You upload a clip and you tell me what you're working on. I give you personalized feedback through drawing and playing and pausing and rewinding and recording my perspective, all through GiveGo's technology. Super easy, effective, affordable, and pretty fun. So download the app, and when you get a subscription, use the code ARCCITY, A-R-C-C-I-T-Y, one word, for 50% off, and you can start connecting with me or big names like Alice Merriweather and Steven Nyman and more. So check it out. All right, time for some ski racing history. Once again, I am reading from, well, I'm paraphrasing from Skiing History, the Journal of the International Skiing History Association. And this article about ski bases grabbed my attention because I realized I knew nothing about bases. So apparently... Pre-1945, when skis had wooden bases, people coated the bottom of their skis with a celluloid lacquer. Celluloid was basically an early plastic. There were several brands for this lacquer, but it would wear thin and you had to reapply. By 1945, one company was simply attaching a sheet of celluloid to the base of the ski, but it would also wear and crack over time. Now here's where it gets a little more interesting. The next wave of ski base material had already been invented. Polyethylene had been invented by British scientists in 1939, but it stayed a classified material because it was used as insulation for cables and radar sets and wires on warplanes. 
It's a good thing the war ended quickly, and then polyethylene could be declassified, and skiing could be faster, basically. A young man named Walter Kofler from Innsbruck, Austria, recognized the power of polyethylene and decided to try to attach it to the base of his skis. This was circa 1950. There was one problem, though. It was so slippery that it literally could not be attached. Ultimately, though, uh, Kofler solved this problem by melting one side of the material to a strip of fabric, and then that created a surface that could be glued to the base of a ski and he called the brand Kofix. He got a patent in 1952. By 54, ski companies were starting to use it. And by 56, if you weren't racing on a Kofix base, you literally were just not going to win any races. Now, it took a surprisingly long amount of time, I guess, for every ski brand to catch on. Ultimately, it became obvious that the expensive base material was worth it, and they all, you know, did it. But as soon as it had taken hold, basically, a Swiss company called Montana, which I currently know for their cool infrared wax machines that they make now, uh, Montana came out with something called P-Tex, which may sound familiar. It was still made of polyethylene or something like it, but instead of fabric on one side, which had its own problems, Montana would flame treat one side, I guess, in this perfect way to allow it to bond really well with fiberglass or aluminum, which is what skis were made of and are made of. Kofler and his brand Kofix became obsolete pretty quickly, but he continued to invent ski-related technology with some success. But most importantly, Kofler should always be the one we thank for allowing us to go fast on skis. Obviously, the exact chemical formula has been refined again and again over the years, and they also make different base materials for different snow types and temperatures now. And even within each batch of ski, the base can vary. Like, it's interesting. Talking to World Cup speed technicians, you hear stories about certain skis that were just crazy fast. You didn't even have to put the right wax on them. Like, you put cold wax on a warm day. The bases, just for some reason, that ski, that base, was just super fast. So, that's ski bases. Hope you found it interesting. Oh, actually, there was one thing I wanted to add. Email me or DM me if you know anything else about ski bases, because I've heard these rumors. I've heard tellings of something like DW40 makes your skis super fast, but it also wrecks them. And I've heard the same thing about a bar of soap. So does anybody know about, you know, crazy fast base materials or things you could put in your base to make it stupid fast? Anyway, let me know. Well, that will do it for us here in Arc City this time. A couple quick things before I go. Send any questions, suggestions, comments, grievances, anything you got, send it my way. I'll always respond. I love hearing from you guys. I've gotten some great suggestions that I'm really excited about exploring, and I've had some great conversations. So reach out. Uh, The second thing is I've got stickers now. So if you see me, I'm carrying Arc City stickers with me. They're free, obviously. Even if I'm up in the mountain, I usually have them in my pocket. So if you see me, say hi, grab a sticker. Uh, Another thing, we are in the top 2% of all Apple podcasts. I just found that out. That is really cool. And that's because of you. So if you're listening in your car right now or on headphones or, or whatever it is, thank you specifically for being part of Arc City. Whatever impact we're making on ski racing, Thank you for being part of it. 
And yeah, it's going to be a good winter, folks. I've got more episodes lined up. Don't know when they're coming, but they are. So until next time, I'm Jimmy Krupka, and thank you for visiting Ark City. <laughs>